Hey everyone, welcome to the Unconventional Podcast, where we are going to get right under the skin of the modern day workplace, and more importantly, how the ever-evolving neurodiverse world fits into it. Cue the dramatic music. Now my guest today is a lady by the name of Elaine Weir. Now Elaine is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for around about three years through the pages of LinkedIn. She actually wrote me my CV recently when I was looking to move jobs from uh, one place to another. That was obviously long before I uh, decided to go it alone with the unconventional brand, uh, although it was a banging CV, I've got to say. Um, she is a people management expert as well as an expert CV writer, but also what we really share is our joint connection of autism through our children. So Elaine was someone that I really, really wanted to get on. So uh, welcome, Elaine. Thank you very much for giving up your time today. Um, I'm going to pass over to you and uh, tell us a little bit about your story uh, and the motivation behind what you do. Okay, great. Okay, so so I'm Elaine. Thanks, Andy. Um, I I run uh, my own business called The Management Mentor that's, that specialises in helping managers develop their people management skills specifically. I find often managers get put in a management position because they're really good at something else. So accountants, for example, or call centre advisors, but they're not actually taught how to manage people and they find themselves in these positions thinking, oh my god what the hell do I do and it's when challenges start to arise because they will you and I both know this and they don't know how to deal with them and there's just this expectation that if you can communicate with people then you can manage people and it isn't as straightforward as that um so, so that's in terms of, of my business that's what I do I also as you know I have my eldest son is currently going through the autism assessment process and we faced a lot of challenges with him over the last well since he was five actually when we look back at it but certainly over the last four years things have become really challenging but he's opened my eyes to a whole wonderful world that I that I was aware of um, and I think factored into my management generally because I always came from a, an inclusive space but actually didn't have the, the knowledge that I have now. And he, he's taught me to communicate in a different way and to actually take a step back and look at, at how we communicate with people and how they communicate with us. And actually, as managers, how people need us to communicate with them, because it's not a one size fits all. And so I'm bringing that very much into my mentoring and coaching to create. So I talk about managing with empathy and humanity. And that's that's my key driver is to teach managers to use empathy and humanity when they're managing people. I love that, Elaine. Um, I think I must say at this point, you were a huge support to me when I was going through a, a difficult period in, in my career. Um, I think you'll remember. How, I mean, how long ago was it now? A couple of years, maybe a couple of years. Yeah, you, you were a huge help to me because I was going through a, a difficult period in my career and and I needed someone to not only talk to, but to build me out a CV, and and um, it was it was uh, it was a huge support to me. And I'm someone that had been managing for 20 years. Um, you know, I wasn't someone that was just new and fresh off the block. So I think it, it's it's not 
that type of support isn't exclusive to just young managers, is it? It's it's totally relevant to people that have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years because I think we all need that 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 support network around us and, and things are ever changing as well in the world of management. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that is the key. I think we, we get to a point where we think, well, I've been managing for for so long, so I should know how to do it. Um, but actually, if you weren't trained in the first place and you've just learnt by experience, then that's not necessarily true. If no one's ever challenged you as a manager, how do you know that you're getting it right all the time? because you don't. And so if you don't have that mentoring element in the workplace, um, and by mentoring, I'm talking about somebody that is really comfortable to challenge you and your thought processes, then there could be things that you're doing and damaging your team without meaning to. There's no intention to do that, but without realising. And then, you know, it, it, it kind of, I talk about the straw that broke the camel's back, but it can sometimes just build up. And then there's one tiny little thing that seems so insignificant. And suddenly you're in this space of thinking, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this, but I should know how to do this. And, and it's just that lack of support. We put managers in positions and we don't support them. We just mm. th- th- there's this expectation that when you're a manager, you'll just deal with it, you know, mm. But, it, but that's not the case and, and it shouldn't be like that and there should be support that somebody can turn to but we forget that with managers we mm. managers have to do it for their team but their 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 line managers are often in leadership positions and they don't often have the time or they forget they forget mm. what it's like to be in that very lonely place that is a manager um and it is a lonely place you kind of touched on um, my next question, really, there, and that is about the 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 leadership. So the people that are above those middle managers, they haven't necessarily got the the skills a lot of the time. Because let's be honest, a lot of people get put into these positions because they've made the right noise or they've hit the right numbers in the past or they know the right people. Let's not beat around the bush. That is a fact. They know the right people. And... They get put into these positions and they they kind of elevate themselves. But very often they don't have, it's not always about time, is it? They just simply don't have the skill or the ability to be able to, or the patience um, or the desire. And I think what what it really comes down to in my experience is when you're a manager, you've either, you either just want to do it because you want to make money um, and that's the end goal. The strategy is all about money and everything is built around that that pound note. Or you want to get there in such a way that actually includes everyone, that, that empowers everyone, that makes everyone else better with that ultimate kind of realisation that if I can do that, that's going to make my job 10 times easier because I've got a team of people driving rather than just me. Um, yes, it's going to be harder. Yes, it's going to take more time. But do you think there's a lack of, uh, A, there, yes, we know there's a lack of skill, but do you think there's a lack of want to, to manage in that way? That's an interesting question. I think I think it's harder, or the perception is that it's mm. harder to manage in that way. And actually, I became a better manager when I started coaching as a manager, as opposed to just 
managing per se. And interestingly, I saw a post on LinkedIn yesterday or today where somebody asked the question, which is what is the difference between management coaching and coaching? And my point was there's a huge difference because most managers believe that they coach their teams, but actually they don't because they don't use coaching in any shape or form and they've, they've never done a coach training. And actually, if managers were to, to be trained as coaches and actually coaching, then the difference is huge. And it's the same for leaders. Um, not everybody wants to coach and support and mentor, because obviously once you get past the coaching, you get onto the mentoring. Managers, they, and you're right, I think sometimes there's the patience um, that they forget what it, what it, what they felt like when they were a manager. They, they haven't had any training or support in, in, in doing that. Um, and it, and it, I think, and you hit on this, it, a lot of it comes down to <laughs> it's who you know. Mm. Um, and it shouldn't be like that, but it is, right? You and I know that. We're not going to change the world of work today. Do you know, I say this to people quite often. You're not going to change it. It's not going to happen overnight. So we have to work with it. But then we have to work with it in a way that, that works with us. So, so yeah, I, th I think that you're right. I think people get into leadership positions. And not everybody... And I'd be interested to know if anybody's done any research on this. Um, I, I think it's actually probably quite a small percentage of leaders who then want to go back down the chain, so to speak, mm. and to support managers to to come on in their skills and to help them develop their teams. And, it, and it's that's the key around all of this, isn't it? Is those difficult conversations that you're managing people. You're not managing robots. You're managing people who, who have lives outside of work, who get up each day and, and sometimes they have an off day and sometimes they have a good day. And um, they all require different work environments and to be communicated with in different ways and yeah. and so if the leader themselves haven't developed those skills it then becomes very hard for them to develop that manager in that way do you think there's still a perception in the workplace that that the leadership should be untouchable um, and the, the reason i ask that question is because throughout my career from a very young manager at 22 i with zero training i took on that kind of mindset of okay I don't know the all of the processes and I haven't been a manager before so what I'm going to do I'm going to get to know people because ultimately I'm only as good as these people uh, make me look um, so if they are not happy if they come into work every day miserable they're not performing they're not delivering I look that that's me done for because I'm only as good as as they are as you know so I got to know my people really well. And in doing that, you allow them to get to know you as well. Um, and I was criticized time and time again in my management career for letting people in too far. Your people know too much about you. And my argument to that would be, yeah, but that's why they do well for me because they can relate to me. They know that I'm not just a, um, someone up there that's above them. They know that I'm just, I'm human like them and I make mistakes and, you know, I'll ask them for help when I when I need help and I'll, I'll involve them in all of the decisions. And, and it was criticised for years and years, literally right up until I left employment, really, that style of management by people that I would say are, are out of date. 
there will be people listening that 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 don't agree with me there but what's your take on that interestingly do you think they're the same people that go on linkedin and say this isn't facebook and you shouldn't put personal stuff on here you know maybe i I think i think i think you're right i think there has been some change and we are seeing some leadership teams now starting to to realize that that they have to be more um that they have to be seen to be touchable um you know but but no I, but i think you're right and there's still a very long way to go there's this this perception that um that you need to hide everything mm. as a leader that you don't show your emotions and that you keep your private stuff private and all that kind of stuff and actually but you're right it creates this perception then that i think isolates managers even more because so so i'm like you right i firmly believe there has to be some kind of a personal relationship with your team you have to get to know them and and if you want them to trust you and you want them to give of themselves to you you need to give of yourself to them a little bit too you know they they need to understand you you know i would be quite comfortable if i was managing somebody if i was having an off day to say you know i'm I'm just actually i'm just not in a good space today so um apologies if it doesn't come across the way you want it to because actually i'm i'm a human too and Mm -hmm. so is every other manager out there so to create this this persona if you like i'm going to come to work and i'm going to be the leader then actually it's an overrated word isn't it authenticity but you're not bringing your whole self to work you're bringing this persona and that's the when i first started my career which was you know not yesterday but we won't go down that road um they, <laughs> that was the the thing leave your personal life at the door do you know and so if you had a problem personal problem it would be like well we don't want to discuss that elaine because actually you need to leave that out of the door when you come to work because we're not interested we've the, the world has moved on the world wants to see more empathy it wants to see more humanity your teams want to get to know you as a human and actually by doing that you're showing them that you know if mental health it's a huge thing at the moment do you know I don't buy this when leaders say, oh, you know, I'm just, my life's perfect and, you know, and I've never had a mental health issue. I think that's utter crap, quite frankly. Mm. I think that they have. I think most, if not all people have in some manner, shape or form. It's just whether you're, you've, you're prepared to, to show yourself mm. um, and allow people to understand that, you know, these things are okay. But by creating this pedestal, that you sit upon as a leader to say, well, now I'm in a leadership position. I need to create this leadership persona. It's that's not the same as creating your personal brand. I, I, I believe you should have your personal brand about your what you stand for, your values, your mission, that kind of thing. That's great. But you do that. You're bringing your whole self to work. Mm. But you create this leadership persona. That is not a personal brand. That is you separating the professional from the personal and i i think we've moved beyond that and Mm. you get more from people if you give them more yeah you you kind of led me into a couple of things there um one of which is the whole leave your problems at the door um and i I honestly can't believe that anyone would actually ever say that anymore but i i think it does it, it does happen and 
you know, I get that businesses are there to make money and, and, and they need to, um, people need to be switched on and focused. But the reality is we are all human. And just because you say to someone, leave your problem at the door, doesn't mean they're actually going to. So the reality is if you embrace that and say, okay, everyone comes in with problems, me included, I'm at the top of the tree and I've got just as many problems as you have. That's the reality of being a human being. So let's have a structure in place where we are, we do feel comfortable sharing so that actually if I provide you the environment where you can go and have a conversation with someone and get something off your chest, I might actually get more out of you today than if I just said to you, leave your problems at the door because you're not going to leave your problems at the door. You're not, you're human. Um, and I think when we talk about, you know, our lives revolve heavily around neurodiversity through our children. When we talk about that evolution and what it's going to be like in 10 years time when they're going out to work, it, you know, for us as neurotypical, maybe, maybe not, who knows? Um, but officially, for us as neurotypicals, that's difficult enough to do. But for someone that's neurodiverse, that's going into the workplace and they've got their face with someone saying, leave your problems at the door, it, it, that just doesn't compute. It literally doesn't compute. Um, and I've, I've seen it. I've seen great examples of people having those environments to share, but I've also seen terrible examples. And I guess through some of the people you work with, you've seen, you've seen both sides of it as well. Yeah, and if I'm honest, I flip quite often as a as a mum between being utterly terrified uh, for Hamish, who's my eldest, um, and determined to do my bit to make a difference hmm. um, when when he starts in the, in the world of work. Um, because if there is, so if I take him as an example, if there is something that is bugging him or bothering him or causing him anxiety he cannot shut that down mm. you know he he cannot me and you know I think we would class me as neurotypical um then I I can to a certain extent depending on how much anxiety or stress or whatever it is that's going on to say right okay let's just focus but for Hamish if he hasn't had the chance to offload this he can't function Right, he, it's impossible for him to function. There needs to be a safe space to to offload, and so to him that would probably be a sick day because he wouldn't be able to cope. But but you're right, and I think it it's really good to be honest, short sighted and naive of organisations, and they're missing out. And I, and I know you agree with this on a huge skill set and untapped potential there, um, in neurodiverse people because they don't create a safe environment and I use the word safe deliberately um, they don't create a safe environment for people um, but actually you are running a business but if you create a safe environment for all of your team so whether they're neurotypical or neurodiverse and it's an environment that works for them as an individual and this is something that I talk about a lot you are not managing a team of the same people we are all unique um and we we all bring something different and we all need something different in the workplace and if you've got as a manager and as an organization you can adapt to that 
you know, because you can still be a consistent manager and consistent in your management style, but still treat people individually. Mm. Yeah, but there's this fear, I think, that if I have to be consistent, everything has to be the same and everybody has to be in these little boxes, which just doesn't work because they're individuals. And so it has to be there has to it has to be a safe environment for each person and therefore you need to understand your people mm. to understand what they need from the the actual physical environment that they're in whether they work from home whether they work in the office whether they work hybridly whether they work flexible hours whether they work nine to five Do you know we try to to put people in boxes all of the time and and it just doesn't work Elaine, do you think there's an argument that there there doesn't just need to be an education from where the leadership and the managers understand, but also uh, a point where the fellow colleagues understand? And what I mean by that is a little story. In my last company, not the one that I left, I was only at four or five minutes, um, the one where I was at for 10 years. Great company, nothing, nothing bad to say about them. They literally changed my life going there and spending 10 years they made me entrepreneurial they they gave me so many great ideas and supported me massively especially when we found out about jake but when covid hit and we um we we were all in a position where we could start filtering back into the office they were very much of the mindset of they just wanted everyone back and obviously there was pushback and you had people that had spent the best part of two years working from home and, and enjoying the, the the benefits of working from home, whether it be that they had more free time to do something on lunch or whether the commute, some of them had two hours a day commute. Um, obviously, we know people that have got even more than that. And that is a big thing to start getting used to, to living without. Um, so there was pushback. But the company, they knew that if they gave one rule for one and one rule for someone else and one rule for someone else, that it would just be chaos and they would have anarchy on their hands because person X wouldn't understand why person Y can only do two days in the office and not three. Because even if the leadership understood, and I think my boss at, the, at, the, at that company was, he was brilliant with me as a, as a senior manager in that company, but the thought of trying to educate 50, 60, 70 people on why each individual needed an, an individual type of, of working pattern was just too much. And in the end, it was like, no, one size fits all. It's, it's too much otherwise. And just, just, so do you think there's a, a case that it's not just managers that need educating, but also everyone about everyone? Did you know that the unconventional brand has three arms? The podcast you're listening to right now, Unconventional Apparel, where a percentage of the profits go to the National Autistic Society, and most recently, Think Unconventional, a social media company with busy business owners and CEOs in mind, putting your social media presence on the social media map. Yeah, I think you're right. 
and, and, and I think that's been there for some time in terms of that that need. Do you know, I, I take this back to just a, a, God, earlier in my career, um, I was in um, contact centres um, was my uh, where I started. And I remember a, a fight once over somebody going out for a cigarette break because they smoked and they were heavy, a heavy smoker. Mm. Um, and um, they get more breaks than me and I should get the same breaks as them. And therefore, I want the same amount of time off telephones as they do um and and so th those things ha have, have always been there that underlying if they've got i want you know i always look at it as a bit of a child mentality that's what i get from my children you know hamish has got so i want is what we would say um and so so i think you're right but i think part of it comes down to the where sometimes these issues are arise is where we say okay well one size doesn't fit all but then we don't have that open conversation. So, so it, I get in some workplaces it's not possible, right? If you're opening a shop and you're open from nine to five and somebody is working on the counter, then the reality is that you're probably going to need them on the counter nine to five. Right? I get that, right? But, but not every workplace is like that, as we know. So where it can be facilitated, I think that that they still try to put, there's still this desire to put parameters on it rather than just taking a really big deep breath and having a conversation that says what works for you as an individual and let's see if we can make that work and having that conversation with the team that says you're each adults and you've each got your own lives right so what we'd like to understand is what works for each of you because actually that's what we should be doing and and so then when somebody says something, the conversation should be along the lines of you were given the same options as them. So we which was what works for you and you came up with this. And if that no longer works for you, then let's review it and let's see what different thing works for you, because we don't like to challenge. It's hard to challenge when somebody says you haven't treated me the same way that you've treated them, but actually if the conversation is the same, which is what works for you, I think where we tie ourselves in knots over these things is we still try to put parameters on it. And I just don't think there needs to be. But the, the world of work has got a wee way to go from from my perspective, which is if somebody who's a parent right, and they've got children at primary school and so say they're doing 36 hours a week for you, that's what you've contracted them for you know the outcomes that you want them to deliver they know the outcomes you want them to deliver what difference does it make if they work from 10 till 3 and then do some hours in the evening when the kids are in bed what you've facilitated is somebody to pick their children up from school to spend some time with them get them get do some after school activities uh play with them do the homework um get them ready for bed and then say right i'm going to do a couple of hours work if that works for them you are going to get so much more productivity from that person than if they're sitting there feeling the parental guilt because they have to work 36 hours a week because they've got bills to pay, mm. but they desperately want to be there for their children after school. Mm. You know, so I think it is that we we're not we're not having we don't have the courage to have the right conversation, which is that the starting point is as a person what works for you and to have that conversation with the whole team and to, to drive from the top that says we are going to work with each employee as an individual mm. and we're going to work within what works for you.
and that will not look the same for each of you but each of you will have the same opportunity but yeah. we don't approach it that way we still try to put parameters on it which means that it becomes much harder and much much more complex or we say one size fits all and then one person makes a really strong case for not doing that and we give them it of course everybody else is going to say hang on a minute what about me because it was one size fits all two days ago and now you've given them this because they made a strong case but actually i'd like to do that it's just that i didn't know how to form the case to do it or i didn't think it was possible or i didn't feel brave enough or didn't have the confidence to do it um but you can remove all of that by having that that conversation that says what works for you do you think there's an argument that um you almost need to do it globally all at once and what i mean by that is you're going to have organizations that will argue okay we will do that and then we'll get say we've got 50 people um and we'll do that we'll ask everyone and we'll each give them their each individual working pattern that suits them and their lives and and gives us what we need as a business but when we then look at it we realize that actually we still need core coverage in certain periods of the day and actually because too many people have chosen this specific working pattern we're gonna have to tell three people that they can't do that anymore um because the rest of the people that we need to communicate with, our customers, our clients, different people, they haven't adjusted to this yet and they are still working that core. So we need certain people available at certain times, which means I can't offer you what you want, but I can offer them what they want, but would you mind giving up on what you want? And I think that's that's the battle, isn't it? That's difficult to overcome. It is. And so you... so. Obviously, you need to know that before you start the process. And that and that needs to be clear in the early doors communication, which is the core cover that we need is, I don't know, say 10 till 2. And there needs to be at least three people available, whether you physically dragging them to an office. I, I believe everything can be done remotely. I don't mm. think we need to drag people to an office personally, but but businesses are, are different in how they view that is that you then have the conversation that asks the question. And on the understanding that when this has been mapped out, there may need to be some negotiations, but you don't pick on specific people. Mm. So there then needs to be those conversations and say, right, these are the gaps that we've now got. So we are then going to start the conversations with those teams per se, around how we can manage this to manage everybody within an environment where they feel more comfortable um, while still meeting the needs of the business. Um, and then, but then there also, I think, probably needs to be a commitment to client education, you know, to say, well, as a business and to have that open communication with your clients, as a business, we are changing and we are moving towards this model and so the staff can see that there is a commitment to that and I think that's the problem is that so often it's paid lip service to and there actually isn't the commitment so they don't see the core culture change they see that you're paying lip service to it whereas if you're saying well we are still going to have to have this cover but we are going to be working with our clients to discuss and the changes with a view to us moving towards a fully flexible model by this date 
Mm. Or be honest and say, we're never going to move to that fully flexible model and we will always have these core hours. But as long as we've got these core hours covered, then out with that, we will be flexible. Mm. You know, um, I've agreed working patterns with 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 people to say, you know, these are the core hours that I need. But once those core hours are delivered, what do you want to do before and after? because we can be flexible around that um and so and it's how you how you put that across you know you can still say well we've got these core hours so therefore we expect i don't know 50 percent of the staff to be available in these core hours so we can look at anybody's got any suggestions proposals but out with that how do you want to do the, those hours mm. you know so it's 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 a for me i i put the the limited number of parameters on it that i can um but there is there is that whole phrase, the needs of the business. Um, but I think too often the needs of the business is used in as an excuse to avoid the flexibility mm. as opposed to a realistic conversation. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've seen over the years, and this is, again, a worry that I have and I'm sure you share as well, is that when when we were kids, there were tons and tons of kids that we would have known. And if we think back now, there would have been children that we would have gone oh, they were like Jake or they were like Hamish. But actually, they didn't have a label or any support. They just went through school being either the naughty one or the, the stupid one or the, 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 the you know, whatever. Um, by the time they get to adult, they've learned how to mask that so well in certain situations Um that they they kind of get on to some extent, um, but then eventually it comes out because they're not being provided the outlet for it in a traditional way. So it comes out in a, a really bad way, which ends up either getting them the sack or kind of just giving them a, a really bad kind of experience around that. That is, I guess, my concern in the workplace is that I think perhaps we look at children with autism and 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 uh, that are on the asd spectrum and we think almost that naivety of yeah but by the time they get to adult they'll have grown out of it like 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 it's still not going to be there like they're not going to need those outlets in adulthood oh yeah but that was just a children's thing you know when they were at school they had a calm space they had a tent that they ran to they had a a, a nurture area they were able to take something that that doesn't stop when you come out of school. If anything, it becomes more prominent because the pressure of, of everyday life gets more and more and more on top. And I think that that mindset needs to be shifted in that we have to look at the children in schools right now and say, okay, this is what schools are doing to try and support those children and get the best from them we need to almost do continue doing that in the workplaces because these people are going to be working for us in 10 years and, and they're not just going to have grown out of it. And actually, if all we say is, yeah, but they'll mask it for work, that is so unhealthy, so unhealthy. Uh, do, do you see that? Do you, is that a concern of yours? Yeah, so, so interestingly, Hamish is um, a phenomenally good masker um, because... Hamish is, has only just 
recently started to go through his assessment process. So while we've been asking for support since Hamish was five, or we knew from, from when Hamish was about five that he was facing his own challenges that we didn't understand, to be honest. Um, and initially we were brushed off. Um, so, so Hamish has learnt to mask it and has learnt to mask it phenomenally well to the point where you would not understand that there were that there was anything going on under the surface. He will go through a school day and I have a communication book with the school so I can see how his day's been and then I can write stuff about the evening. And I can guarantee you that nine times out of ten, they'll say he's had a great day. We've done check-ins with him. He says he's had a fantastic day. He's thoroughly enjoyed himself. And I will, I can tell now because the mask slips when he sees me. So he will come out of the school and I will think, oh no, when I get this child in the car, all hell is going to break loose. And it's like somebody has been shaking a fizzy pop bottle all day and he gets in my car and the lid pops off and there is just an explosion. And I'll read his communication book and it'll say he's had a phenomenal day and something has happened and Hamish has masked it all day and then he comes home to me. Um, and that will, and you're right, when he becomes an adult, he will still face his challenges. They, he will understand himself more, and that's what we're working with at the moment with, with the, the organisations and the, the support that he's getting, is to help him understand himself and to put strategies in place. So he will be more self-aware, I hope, as an adult, and will have strategies that he can use, but those strategies will not be I can just hide it all and go to work and not have to worry about it because that's not what they will be because masking is draining. It's, he's absolutely shattered when he's been masking. So workplaces need to be aware of this and managers need to be aware. They need to start listening really listening to their staff understanding having conversations you know in the past there's always these you know i don't know absence patterns for example it's always been considered a bad thing you know but actually stop and ask the question is there something else going on mm. because i fundamentally my my one of my core beliefs is that i fundamentally do not believe people go to work to do a bad job that's, no, that's one of my core beliefs and if a manager starts with that as their baseline so this person has not come to work today to do a bad job but this has happened and so my conversation would always be so this has happened so what's going on for you do you know and over a period of time when people start to realize that you actually care as a manager and you are going to listen and there isn't going to be an extreme reaction. They're not going to get their backside kicked if something didn't work the way that it should have worked, because actually on that day, something happened, is it, it is to come from that baseline that says they came to work today to do a good job. So something somewhere has gone wrong. And to have that conversation and listen to what they're telling you. And workplaces really, really need to get better at that. I'd love to, to see neurodiverse people to be so much more comfortable to say on their CV, in, in their application that they are neurodiverse mm. but but they're frightened to because of the perceptions in the workplace that they're not employable which is utter rubbish some of the some of the most loyal motivated and productive people that i have employed are neurodiverse mm. do you know um and 
and so we're missing out on a on a, a, a huge talent pool of people who bring something to the workplace but when they bring themselves to the workplace what they're asking for you or, or what they need from you in return is not just the salary but a safe environment that works for them and we come back to that whole thing that says they're individuals and each individual has unique needs and so is it a problem if you create a quiet room where actually if if the day is getting overwhelming for somebody that actually they could go and use for five or ten minutes is it is that such a headache to provide do you know and so and ask your teams because they'll tell you what they need but you need to build the relationships and the trust first yeah yeah it's interesting actually you say that about um Hamish and the way that you know he is gonna almost explode when he comes out because just by a look um we we've recently had a, a Jake's assessment in school um and the teachers are always really um complimentary about his academic side and all the rest of it and they say that he makes them laugh because he's got that probably very much like Hamish they don't know they're funny because they come out with things that are just so matter of fact because they don't have that filter that says, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. And it was hilarious because we were in there with the, the, the Senko, his teacher and his one-to-one. And right at the end of the, we were in there for about an hour and they, they invited Jake to come and join us. And he was a bit like a rabbit in headlights, you know, what's all this sort of thing? And he came in and uh, he was the Senko was talking to him and he said, he looked at her dead in the face and he said, so I have to ask, what is it that you actually do? And how many times have we ever have we wanted to say that to a manager over the years? Um, and it was brilliant. And to be fair to her, she took it in, in typical Jake fashion because they know him. Um, but there is only so much you can say to those teachers to try and get across to them this the the Jake you see isn't the Jake we see, and that's not me digging teachers out because Lynn's works in a school and they have one hell of a job at the moment on and it and it's an impossible job most of the time so it certainly isn't me digging them out I think they're awesome, but the reality of the school system is it's not set up to give Jake everything he needs and other children everything they need to to not come home and be that fizzy bottle that you just take the cap off and it explodes. So that's something that we've kind of just had to get used to. But there is only so long a human can do that. And I would hate to think that by the time our two go to work, we haven't evolved past that point of just accepting that someone's going to keep the lid on for those eight hours a day because actually what happens when you go home, I don't care. Like, as a business owner, we, we can't still be there in eight or ten years' time. Hold it together for me so that you can make my money. Beyond that, I don't care. Like, that's that would be quite tragic. It would, and, 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 and we can't be like that. Um, we, we have to change. Um, and and part of that is that we, we do need to look at what's happening in the education system. Because I think you're right, we need to, we need to follow that through. We've been really lucky um, because Hamish's head teacher has fought for everything that he has got because we were really struggling. We found that the NHS were very, very dismissive and I'm not criticising them. I think that, again, they do a phenomenal job. Um, 
and it's a really difficult space for them um but but they they didn't take the time to get to know him so his head teacher has fought every step of the way for everything that 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 Hamish has got but again there's only so much that she can do and, and, and you know and she'll say to me I had a check-in with Hamish today he's had a great day and I were looking at him thinking no he hasn't Mm-hmm. no he hasn't I know exactly what I'm going home to um and um and so no we can't because it's not because mental health issues will will continue mm-hmm. do you know um and that's how we we understood that with Hamish that there were challenges because even at five because he was hiding things he was hurting himself mm-hmm. You know, and a five-year-old to hurt themselves is terrifying. And then when we eventually reached a crisis point, he was punching himself, banging his head off walls because he couldn't cope. And I don't want to see that for him as an adult. I want him to be able to go into a workplace and and understand that this workplace understands him. So so there is more. There's... I think that we're still in the awareness stage as well, to be honest. We've got to go from awareness to acceptance, but we can't get to acceptance if we don't have so much more awareness. And I've certainly seen over the past couple of years, certainly I've seen a big drive around this in terms of the awareness. But employers now need to to step up and be counted to say, actually, you know, um, we accept this and we will work with you as a person mm. to understand what what we can do to create a safe environment for you mm. because if you don't create that safe environment you you damage somebody so it's as simple as that you know I, I, the number of times i've had these conversations with people to say as a manager you are damaging that person you are causing them to have mental health issues you're not intending to you know you're not a bad person but the way you are managing them is making them ill Mm. and um and managers need to recognize and need the support right not saying they need to do this on their own um that they need to educate themselves around the different types of people we have a thing in our family and i've done this since my children were born we don't use the word normal Mm. we i've taught my children don't use the word normal in relation to people because it doesn't exist there is no normal because we are all unique so the minute you say well that's a normal person you're then creating a differentiation for somebody else who you then deemed not normal and that's a very negative space so as a managers need to have the same perspective there is no normal employee there are individuals who are coming to work into your team and there is a responsibility on you to manage each of those individuals in a way that supports them and creates that safe environment and that's a huge responsibility but as a manager it's yours yeah yeah it is elaine um we could probably talk about this all day um but um (laughs) you wouldn't get anything done and I wouldn't get anything done either. So um, it's been a huge pleasure, as ever, um, to to talk to you. And I think we've we've definitely um, given a few insights today into into the world of neurodiversity, and certainly in the workplace. And but also from our experience, how we would like to see it evolve from childhood onwards. And and hopefully, um, things will change. Uh, people like you and I continuing to talk about it on the pages of, of LinkedIn and, and other social platforms, I think will will only help support that message. Um, so thank you very much for, for giving up your time today. 
thank you for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Now you're more than welcome. And um, we'll catch up again soon.